frightening. Yeah. Yeah, but we were saying about Kamala Harris. I mean, I'm not really sure if it's her staff or how she even gets up to these kind of this kind of scheme. You know, like she so she gets crisis actors to come in and and she gets to just look look vice presidential. I'm not sure what her her motives were there. Yeah, he's um he is a piece of work. Yep. She but that that video was so sickening. She was so phony. I mean, it's like if you had a, if you needed a example of what the word phony means, that video would be a perfect example. Yeah, it's incredible. They have these. We were watching this other, these other shows. They have these French politicians who are making their rounds in the U.S. and going down to the the border crisis and there at the southern border. And, and she just will not show up to this thing. She won't talk about it. She just She's the borders are. What's what's up with that? She's the borders are. That's what Biden knighted her as borders are. And she, yeah, she didn't show up for the meetings. I don't know if it's still going on or not. I think think they. Maybe um, she's. I just learned to accept that it's just crap. It's we what we receive is is lies, and I mean she's the borders are, and she she doesn't show up. That yeah. video was recorded. That video that I sent you was recorded. That I believe it was the day that that. Uh, I think it was August 31st, the day we evacuated from Afghanistan or surrender or whatever you want to call it. Oh, it was. That was. That's what she was up to at that moment when things were happening. She was over there with the... Uh, and so that those kids aren't really NASA students or anything, the, the, the way it looks. They're just some random kids that are really good at looking uh, like they're they're just actors, right? And, and Joe Biden has not mentioned Afghanistan I think I think I heard it was like in forty days. He hasn't mentioned it. Yeah. Afghan yeah. what? Is Afghan what? Where would you, yeah. I mean, everyone just forgot. We went into the memory hole. I'm not really sure what to say about Afghanistan. I mean, at this point, I think that the last time I read any articles about it, they were getting oh, it was the United Nations workers. There was a whole bunch of United Nations workers who were still stuck over there, and these were these are foreign nationals. They're they're not Americans, but they're just. UN workers who somehow just got forgotten and I'm just thinking like who who is like a Filipino national and wants to go to Afghanistan and work for the UN I mean these people have lost their minds I mean if I'm a UN worker the last place I'm ever going to go is Afghanistan I'm just never going to go there I mean but somebody was like yeah I'll go sign me up I'm a, I'm an aid worker Afghanis, Afghans really want me around you know that like I can't wait to work with the Taliban and you know humanitarian aid missions or whatever it is we have to ask, I believe we've asked permission to the Taliban to release the, uh, however many Americans are over there. No, nobody really knows. I'm sure we paid them off. I mean, I'm sure they, I'm sure they're getting, uh, I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, I'm sure they're getting plenty of foreign aid money from the United States. I will check that out. I was wondering that too. I don't understand how things got to be this way. I've seen some videos and, and read about Nazi Germany and how the, the lead up to Hitler turning into the evil dictator that he was. And people knew that things weren't right. Right. But they didn't know what to do about it. They, you know, this is in the, in the 30s. You know, before it got violent, 
uh, it slowly, they slowly started taking the uh, rights away from the Jews and other people as well. Well, they made them, they, yeah, they made them register, uh, and then they, and you got to remember the whole, the whole purpose of going after the Jews was ostensibly because they could be, you know, communists because they had worked really hard to put a Jewish face on communism so that all the leaders the public faces and leaders of communism were were Jewish faces so it's kind of a strange thing that's a really subtle game to play you know to try to to build international communism and fascism and then try to make sure that the people that are heading it were uh, Trotsky and and Lenin and, and other people who are you know they, they probably don't think of themselves as Jews but that's how the world would look at them and their and their racial identity or, or what have you you know so at that point it was considered you know in a kind of in the common sector you know and the common parlance that understood communism to be a Jewish phenomenon which isn't necessarily true at all but that kind of it goes to the idea of building this anti-semitism Anti-Semitism. Yeah, just building it, building it um, as a common way of thinking. Just kind of, you know, like uh, I'll have people that come and uh, don't do me like that. I mean, just like this kind of terminology. The idea that somehow, you know, that there's or the the the, uh, the learned protocols of Zion, which suggests that the New World Order is as a cabal of Jewish, you know, agents. It doesn't seem. Reasonable they were to the me. Well, they, yeah, they're always the Zionists. They're, yeah, they they set that up really nicely. So I think Hitler just fed right into it, just the common racism, the common xenophobia of the time. And I think there were actors who wanted to bring about the the learned elders of the Borg Fontaine, which is the original manuscript. The learned elders I of the, the learned elders of the, the, the learned learned men of the elders of Zion, or something like that. Right. It's a really. It's a really. A highly propagandized video. It shows uh, some Jews uh, boiling uh, little uh, Muslim babies. I mean, not really, but it, it really portrays them as so evil, like evil, evil. <laughs> you know, right? What is well, that? Is the, I think the, that when you're talking about Western civilization and the Judeo-Christian. Uh, ethics and principles that we operate from, when you're outside of that, I mean, if you were in Soviet Russia or in the Islamic world, in the Middle East, you have an, a whole superstructure of culture and religion, religio-cultic themes that, that are outside of this idea of, of a Bible or a Bible God or, or Ten Commandments or whatever there, you know, what, no one over there is necessarily an expert on what makes the, the Judeo-Christian world, what it is, but ultimately we have these idea, these Ten Commandments, this idea of a deity uh, who who has made this special covenant with these particular people, and so I think on the other side of the world, it's it's easy to kind of portray that kind of religious ideology in a negative light. I mean, the, the, especially when you're trying to impress upon others that that uh, the, the, the Judeo-Christian world is controlled by Zionists and controlled by Jews and they're, they're, they're loathsome. That whole really, that concept really comes back, comes through in the Quran. When you read the Quran, it really reiterates again and again and again and again, how, how Allah is going to punish and hates the Jews and their pigs. And, and, you know, they should be killed everywhere. And it's just kind of a religious yeah. devotion within Islam. You can't avoid it. You can be a moderate Muslim, but you can't avoid the, the itinerant kind of 
anti-Semitism is built into the text there. So I think that that's where you're getting a lot of these, this idea of Zionism and that the, the Jews want to control the world and they want to control, well, they, they want to control the, the third most important site of, of Islam, which is Jerusalem, which apparently Muhammad flew there in a winged Pegasus. He flew there on a, his <laughs> steed, and the steed was named uh, Barak. Wow. You got that down. Okay. That's crucial. Yeah. I think Barack uh, Obama, didn't he just name himself? Didn't he just name himself that? Like, is that's what you do when you're, when you're, uh, when you're a, a nation of Islam or you're a black a Muslim individual, you just rename yourself. Like, maybe your name is Bob Smith, but then you name yourself, like, like um, Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ali. It's, it's that kind of, like, pattern, right? You rename yourself a Muslim name, right? That seems yeah. like that's what Barack Obama did. Pretty much he Muhammad. He just reminds me of Malcolm X. Or a derivation of Muhammad, like Ahmed. Um, there's several of them. Little pieces of the word Muhammad in their name. And I think that uh, understanding, I'd like to know more about that. How they, uh, what, what is the the deal with changing your name? Or are they, are they, are they? I mean, I know the nation of Islam is doing this different, but I wonder if I guess the kids are named that. I mean, how, how, right. What happens when you have? What happens when you have four kids, four boys? Do you all name the name Al Muhammad or? Right. Well, it's interesting because I think that that. That kind of occult transformation is, if you go back far enough, it's Babylonian. I mean, the Pope does it. He has to change his name from Mario Bergoglio to to the, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the Pope's? Anyway, he has to have the, the new nom de gore, you know, the new uh, the Pope name that he has to take on. It happens, you know, in that kind of sense of that transformation. Um, and it, I think it's a really old, uh, occultic, ritualistic kind of, Thing that they seized yeah. upon. I think that's what what Muhammad was really doing. He was seizing upon some of the old different uh, components of. Well, it's almost like baptism. Right. It's part of the death of the old person and the rebirth of the new man. Right. I think that they that on some level, if you go back far enough into Egyptian and Babylonian magic, that that's part of the the name, that part of the process that you're gonna ultimately change your identity and transform. But, I mean, if you look at, this is my, I contend that the, getting the advantage of, uh, uh, of Islam, that, that took place with the Knights Templar because they were the first international organization who was really concerned with being able to honor their banknotes in different areas of the world. And they were mostly interested in, in keeping Jerusalem safe for pilgrims to come in and out. Um, and so that's where they're going to start to interact with, with Islam. And I think that as the history goes, they started to have conflict with the, the Hashemites. Or the, I'm sorry, the Hashishans. The Hashishans. Hashishim, yeah. The Hashishans. So they, they, in order to kind of figure out what they were as an as a, as a, uh, initiation and as a, a religio-cultic system that was operating there, they were the cult of the assassins. And so the nice yeah, thing what they would do is, before they before um, they got a mission, the the initiate was lavish. I mean, they they gave them women, they gave them all the alcohol and drugs they wanted. They gave them all this all this stuff for like two weeks, and then he went on his his journey to kill someone. Right. 
that's how, that's how it was in the old days. Well, and, and he would ultimately even kill himself in the process in order to complete the mission. And and you have a whole game, the uh, Assassin's Creed game is dedicated to this this whole uh, concept that we're discussing. You know, and so it goes back. If you if you ever played Assassin's Creed, it goes back into the times. Uh, and it deals with the, the courts of the Medici, and it does a lot of history in the, in the game. But I think that the, the Knight, yeah, the Knights Templar really had an interesting interaction with them, and, and had to fight them, and ultimately had to kind of come into contact with their control, their control system as a uh, as, as really a secret society, a really old one. And you know, as far as they, the old man on the mountain. And so that's what they, they were discussing. Uh, if you watch the Batman movie, um, it was the League of Shadows. It's really, a, a, you know, a throwback um, de- definition of this, this uh, Hashishin, uh, I'm sorry, Hashishin sect. And um, I think that ultimately they began to, at that point, to intermingle and to intermash and trade uh, and, and to have a connection at a high level. So it's, it's, a, it's a, an elite merger at a high level with the um, because ultimately the Hashishin sect would control Islam, and would control the the thinking behind Islam, uh, and so that it, uh, I think that at that point the East and the West would interconnect, and so you would have the brother uh, the Brotherhood of Islam, uh, the Islamic Brotherhood, pardon me, and the Islamic Brotherhood was so a little known fact about yeah. Muhammad is his his wife, his main wife Khadija. She was actually raised in a convent by nuns. Right. I find very interesting. I, from what I've read, it looks like she might have owned the convent. She might have been very wealthy and might have been the owner uh, of that. And I'm, I'm, I would like to understand how she has the money, yet today in, in Islam, women are treated so badly. Right. Well, I think that culturally, at that time, I mean, as far as Catholicism is a very high-level Western cultural, highly educated individuals. But if you look at the place where he was dealing with in Mecca, it's it's very barbarian, and it's very you know it's Zoroastrian. It's you can have a throwback to to to, yeah. to, uh, to the caveman the era, religion. yeah, the Neolithic period in customs and religion. So he's really just unifying all these tribal and disparate you know, bands of barbarians and kind of bringing them together under one rule and, uh, you know, getting, I think, getting people to to uh, to operate at a, an educational level that Khadija was at was probably not possible because she's ultimately an elite in this environment. She's the elite. She's 40 and he's 21 or 18 or 19. He's a young man. But apparently he couldn't read, so a lot of the ideology... No, he, yeah, he, he had it. How did it work? He, he went to a cave and he had the the Quran dictated to him, and he had to have someone else uh, write it down. Right. Which is, you know, this Joseph Smith. Look at Joseph Smith. Same, right. same situation as not being illiterate, but it, this knowledge was imparted to him by an angel, an angel of light, and uh, and it became the it became his own religion. I, I'm sure there's others out there too, because you have to get the information from somewhere. Right. I mean, I mean for credibility. Yeah, if you look at Brigham Young and Joseph Smith, and and how they bring up the, the, the you know this kind of cult of Mormonism there, I think that ultimately they were in the Freemason Lodge previously. 
So if you look carefully, you can see that they're... Oh, God, right. yes, yeah. So they're really interested in with unifying world religions and having one system of pagan uh, worship that's universal. So that's what, that's what, you know, Freemasons are really interested in. If you look in their lodge, they always have their, their central altar, and on the altar is going to be three main lights, what they call the three main central lights of the lodge. And those three lights are going to be the Pentateuch, which are the Jewish scriptures, uh, the Quran, which are the Muslim, uh, uh, you know, holy books and whatever. And then you have the King James Bible, specifically 1611 King James on there too. So these three books together are supposed to be the three main influences within the lodge. And people don't necessarily know that, that it's a temple and it's a, it's really a house of religion. And they're really trying to find a way to merge those two, those religions together. And you can see them doing that in, uh, in Jerusalem, where they're trying to just make sure that that all the world's religions are, are, are in an interfaith dialogue. That's what they like to say. It's, it's eusemanism, it's ecumenical. And they like to bring all the world's religions together so they all are, are, are you know, so everyone says that, that Jehovah and Allah are, are the same. They're just all the same. And I think that that's the contention that you're, you're ultimately finding is that uh, the, the, the ethic and the cult of power that is in Islam is the same esoteric phenomenon, the esoteric initiation that you're seeing within the uh, Hashishans so that they're suicidal, they'll, they'll suicide bomb you and think that they're doing God a favor and they'll go and kill other men and think that they're doing a divine right so that they can achieve heaven and so that, you know, that's the nature of their mission is militaristic and they want to kill their enemies in order to achieve heaven. It's like, you know, Vikings with Valhalla. So it's, it's very different than the Western culture, the Western Judeo-Christian ethics that we have. It's, it's totally the opposite. And so that, that in as much as that Allah and Jehovah are not the same they're not in any way, but I think that the work of the elite globalists and the, the Freemasons, you know, is to, and, and you know, those kind of uh, high-level secret societies is to build a one-world universal system where we all... You know, are, are, you know it's, it reminds me of, of Caesar. He had the, um, um, what would you call it, the pantheon of all the gods. So you could go down yeah. to the pantheon, and, and it didn't matter if you were Egyptian or Babylonian or, or you know, Zoroastrian or what kind of religious, you know, belief you had. If you went under the arch of Julius Caesar in the pantheon, there would be, your god would be represented. So that, that was the point of Julius Caesar's effort is to universalize all religion under Rome. Well, the, the Catholic Church really, obviously, you know, they really um, followed suit, or maybe they created, but the one world religion is it, the universal church, Catholic Church. Is, it's, to me, it's just the thought of it is horrible. I mean, and then, then you have religion and state combined. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that ultimately, what we're talking about there, goes back to the um, the religious supremacy of the papacy, so that they consider themselves to be, it's the, the doctrine of the temporal power of the Pope, so that, you know, he is supposed to be reigning and sitting in, in the throne of Jesus Christ, and should have unlimited authority to do whatever he wants, to, to reign over kings, and to and to punish princes, and to you know, pick pick the delegates and the kings and leaders of the world that he so fits. You know, and so that's that's what you're really seeing is that theme of absolute religious dictatorship, which is really being developed there. 
in Rome, so that anyone who doesn't agree with them is an outside, you know, is ultimately a heretic and must be destroyed. And that's kind of the theme that you see unchanging from the Dark Ages. What power to have over over people, you know? That's just, it's hard to believe that people would go for it. No, I think that, like we were saying in other episodes, I mean, the Napoleon really came down there. It was General uh, Napier, whatever his name was. He went and took, he really arrested the Pope in 1799 and took away his papal states and his money and all of his power and basically humiliated the papacy. And it stayed that way until... Uh, 1813. Well, it actually stayed that way until 1929, which is really the uh, when Mussolini, Mussolini, yeah, the latter, and when he, you know, so there was a, 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 a Vatican City. And, and if you think about it, it wasn't until 1802 that the Vatican officially took down the office, holy office of the Inquisition and renamed it. Until 1802, they didn't even change that. So that's how long we had been dealing with the Inquisition. I mean, we're up until. The 1800s here, you know, we're like almost into the light, you know, we're fully in the period of the Renaissance or what have you. And of course, the Catholic Church took that long to kind of recognize, oh, we maybe we should change the name of this office here. And so for until um, 19, uh, like we said, 1929, the Lateran Treaty, Mussolini gives Pope Pius XII back his, his all this power and his authority. Then you see the growth of all this globalism, this one worldism. And this new world order, so you have to have a world bank, and you have to have a world health organization, and now you need to have a United Nations, and a UNESCO, and a, um, you know, on and on and on. You need to have an EU, and the EU is especially uh, uh, horrifying because, you know, they are represented, of course, very heavily in the United Nations, but uh, Italy has its own uh, a seat in the EU as a member of state of the United Nations, but also, Rome is a center city that controls, is the capital of Italy, and then in, within Rome is the Vatican, which really controls Rome, and really controls Italy, and really has everything to do with the controlling the EU, right? Because if you look at the EU money, uh, the euro, yeah, that, the Pope's face uh, is all over the euro. So we Vatican don't have to his own money right. as his own currency. But he also has his face on the euro, the euro dollar. Uh, so he's he's on he's on his own money plus he's on the euro money so it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out you know the power that they're developing there and uh, of course the Knights of Malta we always talk about them there are an elite uh, high level international society that is only interested in in serving the nobility that's what knights do knights serve their nobility their their princely masters and they uh, and their defenders like on a chessboard. So that they're there to protect, um, to defend monarchical power against popular government, you know, against free, free popular elections where people get to have democracy, right? So, so monarchialism, you know, can't exist with democracy. That's the issue we're really having here in the, the world of globalism and, you know, Klaus Schwab and the, you know, World Economic Forum and COVID vaccines and, and, and Joe Biden. This is all about destroying democracy and popular government in the world, right? You, have, you know, that, that's why every time you go into Walgreens and you look at the the, uh, the newspaper stand, you see all these articles about how great the prince is of England and how healthy the queen is and, and, and how wonderful they're all doing. And the kids and all the princes, everyone gets to get familiar with their name because they're reintroducing monarchical you know, government and principles into our world. So th these are the elite individuals we can't question or 
or um, or criticize, right? But we can criticize Donald Trump and and Biden and all the idiots that that the people elected because the elections and popular government are just going to fade away. They're not going to be able to exist. For one, our southern border is being overrun. It's just open. Just come in. Just walk in. And this creates a huge dichotomy because the people that are here, like you and I, who have social security numbers, we're actually liable for the debt. We, you and I, are the full faith and credit of the United States. Yeah. Right? That, that we, we have to pay taxes and pay back the debt. The people that are flooding in here from wherever they're coming from, they don't, they don't have to. Not legally. They can work under the table. They can do all kinds of other things, but they don't, they're not personally on the hook for that debt. You see what I'm saying? So these are the new denizens of the land we're bringing in. We're the old, you know, uh, the old uh, bankrupt, you know, whitey, the Europeans, the, the Protestant Europeans who fled here from Europe are now being slowly polarized. And the, new, the news is slowly being lowered down around your neck. So then, then move on to the Federal Reserve currency. That's about, right now, like maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day is about to default. Any, any hour now, it's going to be completely defaulted. And there's no way to hide it anymore. They can't keep printing trillions because they're not worth anything. <laughs> Apparently they can. <laughs> well, they're going to they're gonna try, but it's all about how much faith you have in that money. How hard you work for it, you know. That's really what it is. Is that it's it's we're kind of like the Walking Dead. We're still just like walking like zombies around trying to earn a living, and we can't understand what happened to us. You know, we can't understand what happened to us as a nation. We didn't realize that we as Americans were the revolution. We're the revolution ourselves. It's not the, the government, the uh, government, or the politicians, or some other people over there. They're the military. It's the Americans. The Americans are the target. <laughs> understand. That's, that's the nature of this thing, is that um, I think that they'll... But then, of course, they have the, the Chinese Communist Party sharpening their knives, preparing their weapons that the Clintons gave them and others to come over here and just... I mean, I think that the British Empire is still pissed about 1776, and they're going to make that monumental point to us. I think that as we approach 2076, we're going to find out. What's you know what the name of the game is? You have to recognize by 1933 that Hitler that they had like four or five like uh, dictators creating war. So by 2033, it's it's going to be you know we're going to see what they have planned. They're good at this. Well, you know? I believe that we're I believe that we're going to see uh, one world religion. I mean, it, one world government, one world police. It I, I can see the. Um, the slow march to that, mm -hmm. and it's actually speeding up now. Yeah, I would say uh, so. You, know, you think, like the UN, I remember thinking as a kid, thinking that the UN is great. It's just a great idea. And, and on the surface, it is. Right. But they want to, uh, they want to be head of the one world government. Well, I think that the United Nations is an internationalist instrument. And America itself is a creature of nationalism. We're a nation state. We used to be yeah. 13 separate nations band together, but now we're, we're one nation. And in order to pop that balloon, in order to burst that bubble as a nation, you have to, you're doing it from the inside, but you're doing it from the outside with, with co the pressure that communism created, which is international pressure from all the different nations of the world and what they think, with France and Belgium and England and, and Morocco, what everybody is screaming in your ear about what you should be doing. And that's how they really effectuated COVID-19. 
That's why they got everywhere yeah, in the world. Yeah, look at the um, look at the border. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that the reason Biden stopped building the wall and invited you know everybody in to come to the southern border, I believe that uh, it was it is to destroy our our national sovereignty. Absolutely, I think that they're interested in doing fast forwarding what they said that they were going to do, which is a, a North American Union. It's obvious to me now that they, it's crazy because they, they have this international pipeline, XL pipeline, and they have all the, the red Trump Americans with the red hats screaming that they want the XL pipeline back. Of course, it creates jobs and wealth, and it's, it's not a bad thing, but it really, it's really serving the agenda of this North American uh, continent where they want to have pipelines to go from Canada all the way to Mexico and everywhere. And, you know, it, it, and so it's, it's interesting how they have us kind of bound up. We can't see what it is that is really taking place. The forest through the trees, if you will. Uh, we just, we're not, we, so we, you know, we're not just, I mean, I, I want the XL pipeline too, but their agenda for these, these big projects is to ultimately collapse the constitution and bring Canada and Mexico into this, you know, control by Washington, D.C., and I think that that's the, what they're trying to do. It's just kind of happening already, whether people recognize it or not. Yeah, the, that that pipeline. I was I was against it at first, and because I thought that it was it was. Uh, I mean, I thought there were tribal lands and and uh, Native American, you know, treasures that they were going to be coming through. But they they actually really benefited the indigenous people. They really benefited, or were going to benefit off of it. No, I think that there's nothing wrong with it necessarily, but I think that a project like that is being done by internationalists who have to find a way to work through multiple borders, multiple countries, and get you know bring all these things into line. So it's interesting to me that the e, the, the the British the UK was able to escape the European Union and leave with Brexit, but it doesn't look like America is going to get out of this internationalist system that's being built. You know, So to me, Washington, D.C. is a capital, is, is, is the capital, and, and so that in as much as that it's, the, it's the center of the empire, it's the controlling city that controls the rest of us. And so I don't think that people are fully aware of how enthralled we are, our currency, our, our, our local laws, our power grid, or just our, our public school systems, or how much influence this tiny city in Washington D.C. has over all of our lives. So I think until we can kind of until we can kind of figure out how to nullify their influence, and we, just the entire city, everything inside the turn, you know, turnpike, there, just the entire city of Washington D.C. needs to just be like nullified out of our lives, um, because their 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 job now is not to protect. America, but it's to turn us into a component of the the new the United Nations globalist global government system, and, and that's being done because they're just going to spend us into oblivion, and um, and, that, and that's all they that's what Trump did, that's what all the other presidents have done is just borrow more and more and more, and so we're moving inexorably towards hyperinflation. So when that happens, because you, know, you remember, even up until the 1860s during the time of Lincoln. We all had different currencies. Every state had its own currency. Different banks even gave out their own different currency. Like if you were a big enough bank, you could print your own currency and, and people could trade it. And people had to figure out how to balance one currency against the other because they were changing in value all the time. But there was this multiplicity of currencies. So if one thing went wrong, you could go over here. 
Well, now with the, since 1913, the federal you know the federal uh, reserve system in 1929 with that collapse, I think they know scientifically how to how to destroy us, and I think they're bringing it all together into one nice big inter- intersection, a big cathartic intersection of collapse. So we're out here, we're building, we're growing like peas, we're growing like lettuce, like it's not a game, you know, it's like hardcore. So I think that uh, we're the most educated population on the earth. I mean, if you go to other places, I mean, close to it, if you go to China, a lot of people are working in the, the majority of their people are working in rice paddies and can't read. And, and so, you know, that's why per capita in America, we're so wealthy, we're so well educated. I think they're trying to destroy that. If you go, if you send your kid to public school now, you're just going to end up with a kid who's perverted, who's been shown pornography, you know, it, you know, who's been, uh, who's been uh, put through this critical race theory, so that, that racism is now like a central component in school now. You know, before you probably, as a kid, you probably didn't see race, but now they're forcing you to look at it and to make it an issue between you and your friends in school. You know, in the military. So these are really bad signs. If you if you ask me, I think we're I think that the, the the apparatus of our government has been stolen and been taken away, and uh, they're going to use it against us, you know, because... Well, if you had a magic wand, no, not a magic wand, ideally, what can be done about globalism? And to me, it looks like a freight train that's not going to stop. Right. Well, I think that um, it reminds me of what happened during World War Two. Uh, they they wanted to they had an Austrian who somehow got himself elected chancellor. There's a big old conspiracy theory behind how how did Hitler even become the chancellor? That's a big question mark. Obviously, he had Franz von Papen, who, who was a knight of Malta, who was you know who was right there with him every step of the way. But I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to get someone inside the machinery of the German state, use it to kill all their enemies, and then destroy it through like an act of national suicide, destroy the the, the German state. Itself, because for one, it was the highest uh, scientific and uh, educational and uh, ec- highest level economy in the world. I mean, they developed. I mean, Albert Einstein, right? Albert Einstein. There you go. So the whole point of that is, is that to say that they they took the greatest nation in the world, which was a Protestant nation. Remember, remember Lutheran, Martin Luther, and the whole Lutheran Church and the idea of Calvinism and Protestantism came out of Germany. So they wanted to absolutely obliterate German. Germany, and they did it in World War One, and then they did it in World War Two, and they wanted to at the same time make nationalism a big, like a big, uh, a, a demon. What would you say? They wanted to demonize nationalism, so that Hitler would be from from then on a Nazi, right? So that nationalism would be bad. I mean, he didn't do anything that was national. He didn't do anything for Germany. He didn't do anything to build up the German state or to make it great. But the point was, is that they wanted to. Uh, to put this face on nationalism. So from here on out, whenever a, a country anywhere would, would try to stick up for their nation or stick up for, for their country uh, and defend it, that they would be a Nazi. You know, so I, that's obvious to me now. And people are like, oh, don't be like a Nazi. Well, I mean, nationalism is great, but that's not what Hitler's job was. Hitler, Hitler's job was to destroy Germany and to destroy the idea of nationalism to make it look like, you know, that, that that's what you get. If you, if you have a nationalist government, then you're going to, then you're a Hitler and you're going to kill the Jews or, you know, but really if you look at Hitler's work, it was an extension of the 30 years war and it was an extension of the inquisition. So that we, we had moved another century into the enlightenment into the Renaissance forward in, in history. But the truth is, is that they just kept on the same old program. So whenever they would go on a, a, a crusade, 
that they, they would gather all these farmers and all these men up together and would just go on this crusade and on the way they would just find enemies of, of the church to kill on the way so they would they would round up Jews and they would just you know these, these so so you know quote unquote crusaders they would round up whoever they could find who were heretics and they would kill them so this is just part of the the ethics of the Roman Catholic Crusades to begin with they wanted to cleanse Germany and and, and Europe of, of Jews. And at the same time, they wanted to, to push them over into back into the land uh, and create the Jewish state. So it's, it's really, it's a lot for people. It's a lot to ask for people to be like, look, follow this moving ball. This is what took place. But and people generally can't do it. They can't take it in. They can't even grasp what happened there. But ultimately, the, the Jewish state itself was a result of the Holocaust. They pushed all the Jews out of Germany as they fled and they pushed them into into their homeland, and so, you know, yeah. and that was a, 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 an act, not of God necessarily, but an act of the the same masterminds who, who put World War II together, they made sure that that the last Jews in the world were, were put in, in the cities there in Jerusalem, so it, it's really, it, it has to do with Albert Pike's World War III plan, and it has to do with Armageddon, it has to do with their defiance. Well, I think, I think we're moving towards World War Three. Mm. I, I really do, and I know that the uh, United Nations—they've redrawn the the, uh, the the borders. They have it ten sectors, right? And that's what they, they have to. I mean, they couldn't—you ha- couldn't ha- have national sovereignty for anyone because that would uh, prevent them from. I mean, they're taking away national sovereignty in order to. To uh, redraw the borders, that's frightening. The, the, and the, the thing about it is, the UN doesn't—they don't hide this stuff. I mean, they—they just—it's all out there. Well, it's—it's it's all intellectual, academic jargon. So if you have to—you have to be able to read, and you have to be able to critically think, and you have to be able to analyze what's being told to you, or else it's just—it's just going to go right over your head. And, and I think they intend that for that to be for most of the world. And so there's really a very small contingent of people here in the U.S. or perhaps in Russia or perhaps in, in Europe who even really know the name of this game and the terms of it. I mean, I, I heard recently that Poland is working really hard to pull out of the European Union. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Poland really has had a rough one. So I think the agenda of, of Hitler was to, was to uh, unify Europe. And why did they attack Poland and why did, they, why did Hitler attack France? He wanted to take over the entire continent of Europe and unify it and control it. Well, that's what the European Union has done. They have now unified, and so, so France and, and Germany and, and all the, the countries in the EU have, have less power, have lost their national power, and now they have to give over their power to this one larger imperial state, if you will. So, in my view, uh, Hitler, really, his plan was really completed with the European Union, and ultimately, um, it really is, what well, you have to recognize this from history, it's really just the reestablishment of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, so what was the Holy Roman Empire? It was well, well. That that was that's. I remember when the European Common Market uh, talk started happening. I think I was probably in ninth grade, and a lot of uh, Hal Lindsey was one of them. A lot of uh, Christians looked at that as a sign of the end of the world that the Holy Roman Empire would be reunited. Oh, it is. It definitely is, and um, they just need a Holy Roman Emperor, I guess, to, to to be on top of it. So it always moves towards this this ultimate 
dictator, this ultimate uh, supremacy of this authoritarian individual. So that's why you'll see Christians all the time talking about the Antichrist, the Antichrist, because they're looking forward to this one world king, this ultimate imperial dictator over everyone. Over yeah. So in, in many ways, I mean, the, the hubris and the the uh, the greed of, of mankind has tried to push, you know, like Napoleon or Hitler or even Julius Caesar. They're always trying to. Uh, it's always the the hubris of an individual man, the, the volition of a single individual to conquer all others. And so I think you see this replaying again and again in history, and ultimately when we get to this final point, we'll see that there that the uh, there is a world dictator and his throne is being prepared, if you will. So when I look at the United Nations, I look at I look at an international organization who who seizes the national sovereignty of each nation, takes away their independence and their their individual sovereignty, takes it away and and makes them join this this group where they're now whole. You know, so in the United Nations. Who has the most power? Well, who has the most seats? Well, we have a seat, but you have to recognize that the papacy, he has the holy see, right? He has, he has he has an individual seat within the United Nations. It's for the Pope. That's called the holy see. And there's another seat in the United Nations called Italy. The Italian, you know, there's another seat. And then you have the, the as far as the influence of the European Union in the United Nations itself. And so I think that that's what the papacy brings to the table from Rome is the influence and the control of all that. I mean, maybe a third of the UN is really, you know, in countries like Austria and, you know, other countries who really, I mean, it seems like all countries really have really gone over there to kiss his ring, to, bow, to bend the knee and to, uh, to stand there and take pictures with the guy, you know, and no one really knows what the Pope does all day, but apparently he's the, uh, the quiet and, unsuspecting sovereign master of the world. And, we, you know, that's that's what the United Nations is there to, to uh, execute. You know, so we're, we're looking to the future to, to, to like, Star Wars or to our uh, Star Trek or Captain Kirk. Like, that, that's the future we're looking for. But if we want to know the future, we need to look into the past, into the Dark Ages, into this neo-feudalism, and they're bringing us back to it. So they, they can't have popular government. They can't have a middle class of people that's getting wealthy. And they can't have uh, a large contingent of middle class people getting wealthy who own guns, who can shoot, shoot and defend themselves, and have their own money. So little by little, each, each step of those, the legs of that stool are going to be uh, cut away until we're going to look around one day and recognize we can't defend ourselves, our money has collapsed. There's foreigners walking all over our cities that are not from here and who are, like, shitting on us. And uh, the, the United Nations blue, uh, uh, blue helmets... Are going to come in and, and quiet, yeah. quiet everything down and make peace, peacekeepers, right? So I think that what is it about the human mind that that wants to allow a dictator or allows it? If you look back in the Bible, um, I think in Second Samuel, uh, they were crying out for a king, mm. and Samuel says, "You get a king, they'll they'll rape your daughters, they'll rape your wives, they'll do this, they'll do that." And how horrible it is. And then they were like, okay, can we get a king? Right. I mean, well, I mean, that's king. Right. We want a king. Right. That, that's what I, I was going to add. The they, they, judges was perfect. They, they looked around at all the other nations, especially Egypt, and they all had a great king. So, I mean, this is where the idea of a king even comes from. Because before that, before this period, there was no idea of a king in Jerusalem. 
right? You had the judges and you had the lead men and the prophets and, and you had the head of the families and, and, and that was all you needed for, you know, but they cried out for a king. How strange that is. And uh, they, really didn't, is. they didn't want just a regular king. So God gave them a king and they, he gave them Saul and he was a head taller than all the other men. So that's the kind of king they wanted. They wanted a tall king. And so that, that's the kind of individuals you must have been seeing. That was the influence from the other nations was that they had these really tall men and they had, you know, so it goes back to the Nephilim, you know, that, that whole period. And uh, that's a whole other discussion in itself. But I think that, uh, well, while we're on, while we're on that subject, I, I have a question for you. Um, what, because you mentioned the Templars earlier, you know, they started out, it, this seems just so bizarre to me. They started out as um, going to be protectors of the pilgrims who are visiting Israel right. and Jerusalem. And they and only that, people. There right. were nine of them. Well, in the beginning, uh, that was the legend. Of course, they created a legend. But the, the, to make this simple point that in the very beginning, the protection that they were offering people was a protection against the warriors of Islam who were there to kill all the infidels. So you were there to make a pilgrimage for Christ, to make a pilgrimage for Christ, uh, because the, the Roman, the Vatican was saying that if you can make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you will surely go to heaven. You know, it, it's like, it was like a divine uh, work. Or jihad. You know, right. you die, that you die in jihad and you, you, you get the virgins and you get straight to heaven. You're, yeah, you're right. Well, it also has even another, uh, 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 you know, you could even link it to the Hajj, because in Islam, one of the five uh, pillars of Islam is that you have to make your Hajj, you have to go to Mecca and Medina, and you have to visit the holy cities there in Saudi Arabia, and, and you have to do that once in your lifetime to go to heaven. So if you miss your Hajj, it's, it's like a big problem, you know, so it's a big deal. So that's for, a requirement. Right. And so that was kind of similar to the period of the time where the, 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 the Pope was putting out proclamations to say that if you want to be a good Christian, you definitely want to go to heaven right away that you need to go make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So there's another kind of like direct, you know, link in the ideological construction. But they, apparently you got more holy points. So as the pilgrims were being attacked um, and their wealth being stolen, then the Templars are going to come into play. And I think that ultimately they were an organization of the elite of the time because they were, they were wealthy, uh, Titled men, men with titles. So there were viceroys or dukes or princes of some sort, and they had lands. So maybe they were called the poor knights at first, but later on they were actually richer than most of the kings of Europe. So that's what happened in 1307. Philip the Fair, the king of France, helped to get one of his buddies put into the into the papacy and, and elected as as the pope. And they suddenly seized. It was a, obviously. Uh, it was the 13th, it was Friday the 13th, when they were suddenly, right. when the, the Templars were seized upon in 1307 and basically attacked and killed, uh, killed off, and, and many of them were burned at the stake. It was very horrifying, you can imagine, but they were put out of existence. And part of that was because of their failure to, to protect Jerusalem, because now, at this point in 1307, Jerusalem is in the hands of, of the Muslims. So it's no longer uh, something that, the Pope controls. It's no longer the holy city of the Pope. So that's something the Pope has been working very hard for centuries now to get, get Jerusalem back. And I think he's done a good job. You know, the Muslims, the Muslims they, um, it's, it, history just repeats itself. Yeah, I mean, it's just so true. They, they established the 
It just so happens that Muhammad flew on Barak and ended up in Jerusalem, and, that's when, and they built the Dome of the Rock on the um, on the Jewish temple on the on the grounds of the Jewish temple, mm. and that's just how you see. I mean, you watch an archaeology show and you see how different how they just built over cities. Yeah. And they build a new city. No, well, the same thing happened to Constantinople. I mean, before that, it yeah. was, yeah. It was, they just, they just, what is it now today? Istanbul and all the ancient um, Roman architecture that was so fancy, they just, now it's Muslim architecture. And <laughs> boom, now it's a mosque. It used to be a cathedral, and now it's a mosque. And they just switch it over. And so that's, it's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, I, I notice every time they show Jerusalem, you see the, the golden dome of the rock. And then you, you see that there's a big empty, like, you know, blank space where the temple of God used to be, you know? <laughs> so they put this temple of Allah there. And so we're really, it, this is the, the age of the Gentiles. It, it really is. This is the, the, the time when Jerusalem is being trodden down uh, by the Gentiles. And that's a biblical reference. But we're in this part of history that's really lit up and, like, highlighted. And, and we're really in that zone. We're, we're leading directly, invariably, to Armageddon. We're just, we're, we're rolling straight to it. We, we can't be stopped. I mean, it's going to happen. I can just see it in my mind. China is going to roll out their enormous army across the land. They're not going to take it over the city. They're going to take it across the land. They're going to roll right over the Tigris and the Euphrates, and they're going to they're gonna point their enormous army right at Jerusalem. Because because in their mind, the entire, the entire plan of the globalists will be completed and the entire faith of the Christian West will be destroyed if they can just wipe out this this little people, this little problem people here. I mean, they, they wiped out the Uyghurs, so wiping out the, the, the Jews shouldn't be a problem, you know? They're just you know, a throwback, archaic, Neolithic, um, you know, cult of, of this this um, erroneous god, you know? Like every, every ancient civilization from the Bronze Age had their own unique god, Ra, you know? You know so that, that's how they look at it. They, they're, they're just... They're just breaking it down in the most uh, humanistic way possible and the most rational way of dealing with this problem. And so once, you know, they, they feel that once they wipe out Jerusalem and everyone sees that no God is going to come, that they'll, that they'll extinguish forever. I mean, if you look at the writings of Albert, Albert Pike, it's very clear what their plans were, right? So I think that when that happens, that, that the opposite will be true, that Jehovah is alive and awake and real. And he's going to show up for the day of battle, and he's going to. And we're going to see Armageddon in our lifetimes. That's that's how it looks to me, you know. So I, I, what what all that entails is it's very obscure, you know. Yeah, I, a lot of people bring that up. Where they say it, they say it's a derivation of the word. Um, I think Armageddon. I can't remember the name of it now. No, you're right. Harm Megiddo. So Harm, Megiddo, yeah. Harm is the mount, mountain and Megiddo is Megiddo. So it, it really, Armageddon really just means in Greek, Mount Megiddo. And that's a, a mountain that's in the north of Jerusalem, which is surrounded by like an enormous flat plain that goes on for many, many, many miles. So it's, it's the only, and, and it actually is a historical place where many other battles were fought. Where, where the ancient Israelites fought battles against the Philistines there and Egyptians, and there's a whole history uh, of, of warfare. And if you go to the Mount Megiddo, at the very top, if I'm not mistaken, I think there are all the old stone structures 
of the Israel Israeli military because they were posted up there. You know, that was the posting at the top of this mountain. So what it what it predicts is that the uh, that the the movement of the, the enemies of God are going to bring their armies, their physical armies, and they're going to bring them down into Megiddo and in in that plain of Megiddo, and they're going to try to attack Jerusalem. And that's what the prophets in the Book of Revelation and people who believe in the Antichrist and people who believe in all kinds of Bible things are, are, are looking forward to this time when a, a great army is going to amass itself and, and, and begin to try to attack little Israel. You know, the, the, you know what I'm saying. So. We can kind of see that, you know, we can see the Muslim nations around around Israel now who are very violent against Israel, but what the, uh, the, the requirement for prophecy is that there's a great red dragon. And the, the great red dragon has this massive army. And so I think that yeah. that's why we start to look at China and all the things they're doing are horrifying. Speaking of China, do you think they will attack Taiwan because they're flying over it? Every day, I, I think that they're making. I think that that Biden is an agent and a controlled asset of Chinese intelligence. They bought him out a long time ago. He's going to continue to give up bases and he do whatever they say. And yeah, I think that the the CCP, the Chinese people, are beautiful and wonderful, and they're amazing, and they're probably the biggest victim of the CCP. But 1949, right? That's one year after 1948. 1949, the Chinese Communist Party takes over, and with the help of Wall Street in the West, right, and we keep seeing that happen, and they help to set up China. So, for originally, who, who controls Hong Kong? The British. Then the British gave yeah. Hong Kong over early, which I don't even know why they would give it at all, but now we have this issue with the Chinese Communist Party, and will they take Taiwan? I think they're going to try, and we don't have, we have a bunch of um, transgender critical race theory generals in our Pentagon who are not prepared to fight these guys. It just doesn't look like it. I think that the CCP has been radicalized. They're fomenting this extreme prejudice in their military, and they're getting ready to fight, man. That's what it looks like. Yeah. I do, you know, speaking of this, I'm thinking of, I mean, have you seen them pulling down the, do you see them pulling down the Columbus statues? I know they're that. literally pulling them down and letting them smash into the ground. Yeah. Have they been doing that recently? I know that they were doing that over the last uh, couple of years as the BLM and the Marxists, uh, you know, shock troops are running around and the Antifa have been pulling down statues, but yeah, it won't surprise well, me. I remember thinking though, I remember thinking a, a, a few years back when the Taliban was uh, blowing up the, uh, the Buddhist statues, I was thinking how horrible that was. Right. But what is the difference between blowing up these ancient statues of the Buddha and, or or tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus? It's the same concept. Right. You, you got to wipe out the philosophy so that only your philosophy will be adhered to. Right. Yeah, I think at this point, in this level of, of, of uh, power, uh, the, you know the, the game of power that is being played. I think that it doesn't matter anymore if you're right or wrong. I think that becomes you know it becomes diluted. I mean, I think that it just becomes a contest for furious overcoming the enemy in any way you can. That's, that's what you saw in China in 1949. Was that this they they, they got into a big, huge ass uh, mass of people with their flags. They marched around from city to city. And basically forced everyone to comply with what they had in mind. 
And, and so there was no law, there was no like agreement of the people, there was no government that was sanctioning it, it was just a, a total takeover by an enormous mob. And, and so, you know, a, a, key, a key factor there is that they were, that they uh, were using children, uh, to, to children to tell on their parents. Um, yeah, they, they got into school. And, and now, he says, the governor, I can't think of his name, of, of Virginia, is saying that parents don't have a a uh, a say so against the uh, school and um, the children. In other words, what it's destroying the the family. Oh, it totally destroys the family. I mean, I'm looking at these elementary school books. If you look on Getter, they're showing pictures of them. They're just straight pornography, like uh, illustrations of, of little kids doing. Anyway, I don't want to go into it. It's horrifying. But, we, you know, it's, it's horrifying for you and me to talk about it. But these are the actual uh, children's books that are in the libraries. And, and these school administrators and librarians in the schools are, are defending this. And they're pushing parents out and saying, no, we're going to make sure these kids can look at this. So it's, it's an adulteration. They're now molesting your kids. And they're doing it, like, openly. So they're just like, you know, it's, it's, it's sexualizing the kids. It's So the people that are doing this are not who you think they are. I mean, these people that are in their schools and in the school councils who are doing this stuff are not, not your friends. You know, so that's why I start looking to to secret societies. I want to see who, who's operating in the order of the Eastern Stars, which is which is female Freemason. Who's operating in these different clubs? Who's operating it? Because you'll see that these these the fraternities tie back to the college campuses. So when they go to college campuses and they start doing their hazing, they do their pledges, and they go into the sororities and they go into the fraternities, that's really the first link in the chain after they graduate that leads them to these other, like the uh, the porcelain club. It leads them to the, all these secret societies. And I think that's the control mechanism of the elite. That once you step into that zone, now you're going to start to turn around and look at a way to to manage the decline of the American people. So you're, you're in the schools and you're there to, you know, we used to send the kids to the public school to get an education, but now the bars and the doors, you know, slam closed behind them as they go in and you no longer can have any influence. So if you try to take your kid out of school, they, you might have uh, social services and the welfare department, you know, the child and services come over and start to check on you. And, you know, so all these facets of government, they want to educate this cohort of, of students with this message, you know, and it's going to be transgender, it's going to be, you know, new, new racism, it's going to be new, uh, new, new Marxism, and, um, and they, they want the entire next generation of the American people to come out educated with these new, dumbed-down, hyper-partisan philosophies, if you will, you know, so. Yeah, they're, they're actually, uh, they're actually uh, doing away with standardized testing, right. It's racist. And they're taking math out of the uh, curriculum. Yeah, math is racist. Yeah, But in order to fulfill that little last piece of history, the Hashishin sect ultimately became known as the Muslim Brotherhood, and it's constituted today in, in a grand lodge of Freemasonry in Cairo. So the grand lodge of Freemasonry in Cairo is the heading for all Islamic secret societies, uh, esoteric Sufism, and uh, covering the the extension of the outgrowth uh, historically of the Hashishin sect or the the sect of the, the assassins. And we you recognize that the Grand Lodge is not just any old lodge of a school of, of esoteric arcane knowledge. The Grand Lodge 
is the head lodge that governs all the other lodges. So you can understand that the all the other uh, lodges of Freemasonry in the Middle East are constituted under this Grand Lodge. And likewise, there's a Grand Lodge of Freemasonry also in London. 